Hi there, this is Structured Rambling, a podcast about literature, ideas in literature, the texts, the themes, the virtues and beyond. My name is Paul, I'm a reader, a writer, a teacher, a fan, and a pig owner. Well good day everybody out there in the world of the world. It is September, it is nearly the end of September 2020. And uh, we are back to it. We are back to life as teachers, and uh, that's how we go. Um, just a very quick update before I dive into today's podcast. We have some exciting things coming down the pipe, um, as I have alluded to in the past. Uh, I am intending to do a podcast with uh, a friend of mine who is one of the three tri hosts of a podcast called the lingaholics uh talking about translation of literature and the ideas and the effects and all that fun stuff um and got something also on the go talking about some of the first historical fiction and the concept of historical fiction i will have talked about on this podcast and i'm also working on one about the depiction of religion in literature controversial Anyways, today is kind of a retread of an old uh, blog post I made um, about five years ago, back when I was blogging more than podcasting, uh, about the topic of audiobooks. Um, it's interesting because you are in you are consuming this particular podcast in audio form, and a lot of us do the same thing with books. But is it exactly reading when you are reading an audiobook? Is listening reading? A few years ago, quite a few years ago now, I started putting teacher slash author on any sort of form that asked for my profession. I figured I was starting to get paid as an author. Not well, but it was adding to my income. Um, And I started saying it too. Profession, teacher slash author. In time, I started stressing the and. I'm a teacher and an author. Sort of like, surprise, there's more to me. I started doing this because I started seeing more of my pieces get published, including a book. I wanted to embrace the fact that I had a second job. Perhaps someday I'll be, you know, I'll have the gumption to write author slash teacher, but that feels a bit like crossing a line. It may be pompous to use a two-career title, but besides the publication, I decided that anything that pays regularly needs credit as a career. Teacher stays first because it's my career and my chief obsession, the place where I currently do the most good for society, and I feel that that matters. Teaching pays the bills. Writing pays my ego. One passion. One is an obsession. The thing about being a jack-of-two-trades is I'm not pretending at night I'm something I'm not by day. I'm an English teacher and an author in the English language. I'll point out the obvious and say both of my jobs involve the understanding of, mastery of, and refined usage of English. All of my working hours are spent involved in the craft of our communication. Books, stories, poems, plays, articles, blogs, rants, raves, podcasts. I read, I write, I edit, I listen to and teach all of these things. Every single day, it's pretty cool dual vocation that I have. 
Challenging and exhilarating, and best of all, what I do in one informs upon the other. The better I am as a teacher, the better I am as a writer. The better I am as a writer, the better I am as a teacher. Oh sure, some days I wish I was a teacher-slash-plumber because both of my jobs suffer the judgment of not being quote-unquote real work in the eyes of those who judge how hard some work compared to others, which is everyone. But I'm being oversensitive and slightly digressive. A hat I wear inside the hat of being an English teacher is a teacher of English language learners, students and immigrants and international travelers who are adding this cluster bomb of a language to their linguistic arsenal. During a novel study once with an ESL group, I played my students the first chapters on audiobook as a change for me reading it to start and to sort of whet their appetites for the novel. Yes, English teachers slash authors believe students slash readers can have literary appetites whetted. We are classic self-denialists. My students loved this, finding it much more approachable and asking if they could have the whole novel read to them this way, or failing that for me to do it. I told them it wasn't going to be possible as this was an accommodation and not actual reading in the strictest sense. But in my heart, I questioned that. It felt sort of like cheating, but was it? What was the purpose of the book? Why were they reading it? And why not encounter it through their ears? Well, those are two different things. So what is our opinion on the audiobook? Oh, rhetorically addressed listeners. In recent years, I've started to listen to them more often because life's just too damn busy, especially when your career has a slash in the middle. For a guy to keep up with four or five books on the go, it's nice to be able to listen to them. But when I'm listening to them, am I actually reading them? It's a literal and philosophical quandary. The sort that appeal a lot to us English two-job tights. Let's ponder it further, shall we? In my journal, I've been keeping a list of books for well over a decade. Close to two decades now that I think about it. Rather creatively, I called this list my book list. I think I started it when I saw one of the best book lists around at the, uh, the turn of the century. They were listing the best books of the 1900s, the best books of all time, that kind of thing. And it got me thinking about how many of them I had actually read, how many remained to be read in my life, how many should I bother with? See, with an English degree, a teaching degree specializing in English, and an already healthy appetite for reading, a lot of those subjective great books have already passed by my vision. So I created a list of the remaining dozen or so. The list continued to get added to, and I've been working it down over the years, but it's never going to be complete, of course. So about four or five years ago, I realized that I had fewer than ten left. One was War and Peace, which I, I have false started a couple of times, but I am now about halfway through, and I'm going to make it, but I have to take breaks from it. Not because it's a hard read, but because it's, it's, it's just big. Uh, another was Moby Dick. These are big books, difficult books, dated books. In some cases, books you're more likely to want to say you've read than to have read, though there are always books that surprise you at being classic and being quite readable. When your reading time is limited, as I've already shown mine is, tackling these large ones, many of them more work to read than is worth what you gain from them, facing that challenge doesn't always seem worth the while. So 
over the years, I've worked through some audio versions. Let me tell you, that was the only way to read some of these books, like Moby Dick. Take my word for it. Um, I don't like reading a book as an audio book if it's not a book I've read before. Um, I do a lot of rereading through audiobooks. I don't like to do that with the books I'm teaching because actually encountering the text on the page is the same experience the students are having and I want to have something similar. But sometimes I will get through a book I've never read before only in audio form and Moby Dick was one of them and gosh darn it, I don't think I would have read it otherwise. Like, holy crap. Uh, not my favorite experience. So those bragging rights, they got me thinking once again though. Could I say that I had actually read Moby Dick? Could I actually say that I have read any book that I've only listened to? Is listening to a book the same thing as reading the book? In many ways, I was more attentive than I would have been with a dull book like Melville's by having it read to me um, by someone who was wanting to read it. It didn't feel like they were working. And it prevented me having my wa mind wander off at the dead prose um, that, that just lulled, would have lulled me as I'm reading them. But you could argue that just sitting or running or driving or cycling or working in the garage and listening to a book isn't reading because it isn't as dedicated to the book. You shouldn't be able to do something like running or driving or cycling or working in the garage and read because you would get in a car accident if you were doing that for real. But isn't the bragging attached to the accomplishment of, of doing it saying I've read it, not that I've heard it? Back to my classes now. I mark provincial exams, and to have a, a reader or CD um, version of the exam is considered a pretty major accommodation because of how sacred the actual act of reading is. The main thrust of the exam is still that you have read it, not that you have had it read to you. Just what exactly do we mean by reading, though? The simplest definition that strikes me is that reading is the uncovering of meaning by, deco by decoding uh, like phonetic symbols that have been formed into words, which through their combinations create a text. The audiobook removes that decoding by at least removing the difficulty of interpreting little black marks on a page that your brain has to decode. This is no small thing. I consider myself a relatively verbose guy, but I have more than once been surprised by an audio reader performer's delivery of a new word, a word I had always pronounced incorrectly and never had the notice to correct despite nearly four decades as a reader. Character names in rereads. Uh, often, uh, I wonder if the reader is incorrect. Um, I have no indication that their version of pronouncing a name, especially in you know historical fiction or fantasy or science fiction, is correct. How do they know? Have they checked? Am I doing it wrong? It's it, it's something I'm troubled by. There's some credibility then to saying that listening to an audiobook is not reading because it skips that step, that decoding step. The reader herself is not doing the part where she must encounter text, interact with it, decode it, hopefully enjoy it, and then master it. And speaking of interaction, how you do it is now dictated by a surrogate. That person who is pronouncing that word better than you would have, and that name. I gave up on e-readers after my first go 
not on some sort of honor for the smell and the feel of books, although that does matter to me, but because I can't interact with a a, a text like that. An e-text, I can't flip around, go back over passages, write down quotes, underline passages. It's just not the way I read. A name looks different to me than when I hear it. I stare for a long time at proper nouns. I try to guess the etymology of some words. All of this I have to dis- I have to suspend while listening to it. Note that I didn't say reading. Just listening. I don't do those things. And that is a huge part of the reading experience for me. Maybe it sounds like I'm moving towards decrying audiobooks. I'm not. What I am doing is trying to decide if listening can count as reading. Do I say I've read Moby Dick? Because I'm not going to go back and do it again. I don't need whole chapters on whaling and why whales are actually fish. But in in the face of all the evidence, I, I don't think we can say listening is the same as reading. I'm not sure that's the correct answer. But I do say that listening to an audiobook is not the same thing as reading it. How much different is it? I don't know. Does that mean I'll stop listening to audiobooks? No. But when in doubt, I will err on the side of the page in front of me, especially with something new. And if that means it's going to take me four more months to finish War and Peace, so be it. Thank you for listening. Have yourself a great day. Thank you for reading too. Bye-bye. (laughs) 